This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. The second last week in the series of Revelation. I know we didn't do the video today. I know that you're all preparing a barbecue for your father after this, so we thought we would spare. If Listen, this is your first week here. You missed out on a very intense video <laughs> that now everyone else has watched nine times. And a few of you had said to me, it's quite intense. It's, qu- it's quite intense. So we're going to skip it today for all the people that don't like intense intros. Don't cheer right now because I liked the intense video, okay? Um, but we are in our second last. I believe this is the first time that I have announced with glee. This is the second last week in a series Nobody is even laughing. You're all like, yes, it is. It is the second last week. Praise the Lord. We're going to be done this one next week. But um, for those of you that I, I, in the middle of this series, was gifted with the coronavirus. <laughs> so it wasn't a gift, believe me. Um, but, but it means that we are going right to Revelation 19 this week. We are going to skip over the harlot of Babylon. And a lot of you are sad about that, I can tell. We're not skipping over it theologically, okay? So just I'm going to give you a little up. Last week we were on Revelation 13, the center of the theological center of the book. Revelation 12 and 13, the theological center. This week we're going to go fast forward right to Revelation 19. And let me just give you a quick summary of Revelation 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. (laughs) Ah, the fact that I'm saying this is so funny, Uh, but I am going to just say, you know, my kids said this to me last week. They said, Mom, your jokes are terrible. They're like almost like dad jokes, (laughs) except for the at least dad jokes people pretend to laugh at. So that was my encouragement on the way home. So children are a gift from the Lord. If you were a child here, you know, just keeping you humble every day of the week. Uh, but really, what, what that section of Revelation that we're just not going to go into detail, someone said maybe next year, I said maybe next decade, um, it really talks about how the world, at the end of time, we are always being seduced by the, by the powers of the world. We're always being seduced by Babylon. And, and the, the point of the unveiling of Jesus is that we would say no to every kind of seduction. The dragon or the, that is powered that powers the beast and the harlot and all the things, uh, is always getting us to say yes to other things. Do you know, I think in the 21st century, we say this a lot, like, the world is so crazy right now, and it's, it's easy to get our eyes off Jesus. True. But did you know that since Jesus ascended to heaven, people have been saying that? Because, like, when wheels were invented, that was, like, something that people got really into. They're making wheels, and they're forgetting that Jesus is alive. When fire started, you know, when people had heating in their house, when people had outhouses or toilets in their house for the first time, people were really into that, too. Like, because because everything that's new, we become, like, we're like little things that go around and go, that's shiny. Let's look at all the shiny things right now, and we forget. And the book of Revelation keeps calling us back. No, we cannot be people that are just tossed by every shiny thing. Look at that. Oh, isn't that special? Because like, today it's the internet, and tomorrow it will be the metaverse. 
And we'll say, oh, wasn't that quaint when we used to look at our phones all the time? Wasn't that a quaint little problem we had? Because this is the way of humanity, and this is what Revelation reminds us. That the, the, the harlot of Babylon is really just trying to get our eyes off Jesus. And our job as men and women living in this world is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay, that's the summary. Let's look at Revelation 19. We're actually just going to look at one verse today, but I want to read it in context. Revelation chapter 19, we'll start at verse 11. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. So far, it's sounding a bit like a heavy metal song. And a second time, they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen and bright, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage lamb of the supper. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold, testimony, who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, I want to focus today on the Beatitudes of Revelation. Just for a minute, we're going to look at one of the Beatitudes uh, the Beatitudes, in we, we studied the Beatitudes in the fall where Jesus said, blessed are those, blessed, it, the word blessed, and um, it really means, uh, some translators translate it as the word happy, and um, in the 21st century, this is like a very, this is a billion dollar industry, right, the happiness industry, like, how can you learn to be 3% happier than you were last year? You know, have you read any of those books? None of you will admit to it that you helped them all get on the New York Times bestseller. But the truth is, as humans, we're really interested in that. Why? Well, because nobody wants, uh, you know what I'm looking to be? About 3% more miserable in 2023 than in 2020. Nobody signs it. We all, there's an innate desire in all of us to say yes. Yes, I, how many of you would say yes if someone could tell me how to be 3% happier, I'd go for it. Yes, yes. And, and Jesus gave us these Beatitudes, but then also when we come to the book of Revelation, and it's very rarely talked about, there are all kinds of Beatitudes. There are seven, in fact, seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. It's interesting that there's seven, seven Beatitudes, because we remember that numbers in the book of Revelation are not statistics, but they're what? They're symbols. And it's interesting because you have the seven lampstands, and you've got the seven bowls, and you've got the seven... All, the, all these, se because seven is the number of perfection. So we have seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. And I would encourage you uh, today for time's sake, we're not going to go through them all, except for that to remind you that the, the very first Beatitude was blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. This is a really important one because a lot of, <laughs> a lot of us, 
would like to just sort of ignore the book of Revelation. Like it's there and it's weird, so therefore I'm not reading it. But we know that the prophet, that John the apostle says, blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, speaking of the book of Revelation. And this is why we're, this is one of the reasons we're studying it today. I, my hope, I know we haven't gone through every single chapter and every single line, but my real hope in this series is that it would sort of, it would whet your appetite, that you would maybe begin to think, oh, the book of Revelation isn't as weird and scary as I thought it was, that you would begin to see the book of Revelation truly as the unveiling of Jesus, not a... Um, so what's interesting, I was talking with a friend of mine, and we were, we were kind of giggling about how in the 1980s, we read the Re book of Revelation through the lens of what was happening in the news. And so if you ever were, many of you were not, were not alive at this period of time, but if you ever got the joy of going to one of these meetings, it was like really the, the book of Revelation was read through the news. And that's never the way to, to read the scripture, how we're to read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus himself. And this is why Revelation is called the unveiling of Jesus, not the unveiling of CNN or all the weird things happening in the world. And this is where people got confused and wrote books like about Y2K and Jesus was coming back at Y2K. And those of you that bought a generator, we are not shaming you about that. That was a weird night. Do any of you remember where you were during Y2K? Dave was trying to get me to become his wife that night. <laughs> well, his girlfriend, at the, at the very least, at that point, he was, we were worried the world might end. You know, it was so anticlimactic, though, wasn't it? Like, some of you who were like three when that happened, I'm going to tell you, it was the most anticlimactic night of all time. We were all very excited for what, I mean, don't, don't lie. If you were a Christian at that point in time, you were kind of excited. Like, this is well, going to be really exciting. And then nothing happened. You just kept watching your movie. And the thing is, we knew by the time that the time came around to us in Canada that nothing was going to happen because Australia already had nothing happen. But we were still secretly hoping. <laughs> and this is sort of how we read the book of Revelation all of our lives. Like this weird kind of, and, and, and really that theology led to, uh, this is where I really believe theology matters. How you read the Bible matters. Uh, if you read the Bible like it's, uh, like a, a futuristic kind of, it, 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 it no doubt is talking about the future. But if you read it in the wrong way, it leads to wrong ways of living. So this is where you had Christians excited about the war in Iraq because it would hearken Jesus back because Revelation talks about war. If you read it through the lens of the news and not as an unveiling of Jesus, it will lead to weird ways of living. And I, I want to call us to be people that read the word of God through the lens of Jesus. Okay, so all these Beatitudes, the one I want to, the one I really want to focus on is Beatitude number four. I think it's the pivotal Beatitude of all of them, and it says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb, in the book of Revelation, is getting married, and this is no doubt a wild metaphor. Uh, we don't say that Revelation does most definitely have very wild metaphors, um, 
the lamb is getting married and we are invited. And more than just invited, uh, we are actually the bride. And we, um, the question about who is the bride, we have to, we get there in a number of different ways. But all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God talks about his people as his bride. Last year when we studied the minor prophets, we talked about how God in the book of Hosea called Israel his bride. And the question becomes, why did he use this metaphor? You ever thought about that? Like why, why, and this is like sort of apropos, we're talking about Father's Day today and, you know, that coincides a lot with marriage. In a world particularly right now, in the 21st century, when marriage is sort of like fraught with problems, right? They're saying now that people in our culture are, like there's less divorce, and everybody was cheering about that until you dug into that stat a little bit more and realize it's it's not just less, what it is, it is less divorce, but really basically because there's less marriage. (laughs) Because people are saying, ah, I don't know, I don't know about marriage. So what does this beatitude mean for us in the middle of, of a world that doesn't take marriage very seriously? And then what does it mean for us to grapple with this metaphor? Like, I wonder if we've really grappled with it. We, like, we sing songs about this all the time. We are the bride of Christ. That's not a song, by the way. I just, (laughs) I just made that song up right now. Abel, I'm basically a songwriter right now. Yeah, you could, you could tune that out for me. No. More of a rapper, not a singer. Okay. But we say things like this all the time, like we are the bride. Have you ever, have you ever really come to, have you really grappled with that one? Like all the dads in the room right now, you are the bride of Christ. Like we normalize things in the church that we, we should be grappling with. It shouldn't just be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. And how I want you to think about it is think about a person that you know, and I hope you know many people that don't know Jesus and don't come to church. And let's try to have this conversation with them. By the way, I went to church today and found out I'm getting married. Again. The bride of Christ. Like it should at some level. We shouldn't, th- th- there is some mystery to the gospel. It should, now I'm not saying it should be weird and you should like have a total breakdown of your faith. I'm saying what we have to do is grapple. We can't just go, oh Yeah. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. We sing these things that I think we don't really, we don't ask ourselves, what does that mean for us? What is that? But all throughout the New, particularly then in the New Testament, Jesus is telling us all the time that we are his bride. Early in Jesus' ministry, he's in trouble because his disciples are not following the rules of the Pharisees. And I love this because it reminds me that Jesus is not really concerned with, like he's not concerned with being a letter of the law rule follower. But Jesus says to the Pharisees, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? Now we read that in Matthew chapter 17. We think, yeah, that's normal because of course we're the bride of Christ. But if you were the Pharisees hearing that for the first time, you would have been like, what? What is going on? But all throughout Jesus' ministry, he's saying things like that. He says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man, a king, who gave a wedding feast for his son. And the parable goes on to say how nobody wanted to come 
So he said to his disciples, go out and compel them to come in. To what? To a wedding. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about his coming again, about the foolish attendants of the bride who forgot to bring oil for their lamps. Jesus is again comparing himself to a bridegroom, and we are his bride. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and he turned water into wine. It's again this like picture that we are the bride of Christ. John the Baptist sees Jesus as the husband of the people of God and sees himself as the one arranging for the celebration when the husband takes his bride, and he talks about this. Jesus, um, and a lot of the interactions Jesus has with people are like reminiscent of this fact that we're the bride. When Jesus talks to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, um, right away, all the Jewish readers who had read this would be like, when was the last time we heard about a well? Oh yeah, that's right. Every time one of the patriarchs went to a well, there he found his wife. And this idea that Jesus finds the Samaritan woman at a well would have been both, um, it would have been disconcerting because all of a sudden Jesus is saying, I'm taking as my wife someone who is not Jewish. What? And then when Jesus said, um, in John chapter 14, John tells his, uh, tells his disciples not to be afraid because he's, Jesus tells his disciples not to be afraid because he's going to his father's house to prepare a room for you. Now, my whole life, I grew up thinking, you know what, I might not have a mansion now, but I'm going to have a mansion when I die. Did anybody else think this? And there were songs, Christian songs that were written. I believe that there was, I really want to sing it, but I'm not going to. Uh, do you remember the song Big Big House? Oh, some of you don't know. It's okay. And you know what? Don't Spotify this. It really wasn't a good song. <clears throat> okay, but there was a song that Jesus is going to go buy, build you a mansion. And the idea theologically became in some of our places that Jesus is going to make you rich. When you're dying, you might not be a good rapper with ice right now. But when you get to heaven, you're getting all them gold chains, and you're going to have, a cr and you know the cribs, you'd watch that MTV Cribs, and you'd think, well, you might have that kind of a crib iced tea, but I'm getting myself, you know, terrible, again, theology matters, people, <laughs> this is, because Jesus wasn't talking about you having a big old crib, what he was saying the idea that when a, when a bridegroom, when a man would get married to a woman, he would go and prepare a place for her. That was his job, as the, that was his number only job. His only job as a bridegroom was to go and prepare a place for, the, for his bridegroom. When he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he is not saying, I'm going to make you rich with golden chains on. You're going to be in heaven. You don't need to be rich anyways. He's saying, I am the bridegroom. You are the bride. This is what he is telling his people, telling us. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul carries this on. He says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin. Probably none of you have this one as your life verse either. Because I think we haven't really grappled with this. So what does it mean to be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Why did God use this metaphor? Why didn't he just say, hey, you're all my kids. You're all invited over for a party. Right? Because that would have been nice and controversy-free. But I think there's actually some reason that God uses this metaphor 
to talk to us about how we are his. What does it mean? It, 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 first of all, I think it brings us dignity. To become the bride of the lamb bestows on us this like amazing amount of dignity. To be a disciple, so to be a follower of Jesus, is amazing. To be called one of his kids or his sister and his brother is, uh, to be sisters and brothers in the kingdom of God is astounding. But to be his bride means something else. It means that God chose you, that he picked you, that you were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb because he thinks of you like with that much. This, I, I was thinking about this this week. I'm like astounded by this. You remember, so those of you that are married, when you got married, and those of you that are not, um, just, just consider somebody that chose you. When you get chosen by somebody, there's something powerful about that, isn't there? Just being chosen like somebody saying, I pick you. You're the one that I'm going to be with forever. And whether you're married or not, I want you to know that Jesus, like he looked, the Bible says before time began, bef while you were in your mother's womb, he chose you. And the Bible doesn't, this doesn't only give dignity to us, it's also giving great dignity to Jesus, okay? So what, what God is saying in the book of Revelation is he is, in the, in the Old Testament, God was the jealous husband of Israel. He was, the, the Israel was his betrothed. In Revelation, we're told that, and all throughout the New Testament, it's reminding us it, about our Trinitarian theology. This is, by the way, this is how we get to Trinitarian theology. There's all kinds of nonsense right now saying, the Bible doesn't ever say Trinity, so we don't believe in the Trinity. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are reminded that the Father God and Jesus are one. And this par part in Revelation tells us that. It tells us that... Um, Jesus is one with God. And um, at the beginning, and th this reminds us that the book of Revelation is basically like one giant love letter to us, reminding us that we are his. The invitations have gone out. You and I are invited as guests yet, but also as the bride. The whole book is one long, passionate love letter. Um, to the church in Ephesus, the church that seemingly has its act together, Jesus said, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. You know, this, is, this all comes back to the beginning of the book of Revelation now, where he's saying, you're, you're, you're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How you think about your relationship with me matters. To so the church in Thyatira, he said, a, gr a church under great pressure to compromise. Um, Jesus speaks about the real possibility of adultery, that they would, you know, put themselves out to other people, to the church in Laodicea. He said, you've lost your first love. He said, I'm behold, I stand at the door and knock. And um, this idea of standing at the door and knock echoes Song of Solomon, this beautiful love story between God and his people. Okay, so the whole last book of the book of, uh, the whole last book of the Bible is one long love letter telling us that we are, like, begging us not to be seduced by the harlot of Babylon. It's really the whole point of the book. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm coming back. I'm going to prepare a room for you. I am, I am the bridegroom. You are the bride. Don't be seduced. I'm coming back. Okay, the second thing we 
you know, how we live into this is by delight. We figure out that God delights in us. So a lot of, a lot of organized Christianity gets into like, see if you can do 75 good things this week and only 35 bad things. Let's go with that on Monday, okay? And we get into this like, if I can do all the things, God will like me quite a bit better than he did the day before. Yes? Do you know what I'm talking about? We get into this like, and it becomes like this, who, and it's why when we go to churches, sometimes we have this like spiritual pecking order. Oh, I saw that. I'm trying not to use one of your names. I have to think of a weird name. No, I better not say weird because somebody might have that name. I saw that someone had their hands stretched out higher. Clearly, God loves them more. (laughs) Or I saw that that person was really using their gifts and someone else I'm looking at is not using their gifts. I'm not looking at anyone right now. By the way, just for starters, I can't really, without my glasses, see past the second row. So if it ever looks like I'm looking at you, I am not. I cannot see you. <laughs> okay, so we get into this, but, but, but the fact that Jesus calls us his bride reminds us that he delights in us, not for what we've done. But he picked you just because you're you. Whew, that's really awesome. Um, Zephaniah, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. You need to hear this for yourself this morning. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Such a beautiful picture of who God is. And this is what Revelation is drawing us back to. It's not lightning bolts and thunder and like get your stuff together, kids, because you might be going to hell in a handbasket. No, it's a love letter reminding us to stay focused on him because his delight is in you. He calls you to be the bride. Third implication of this is that he calls us to intimacy. God doesn't just want to be something up here and like, far away and you get your golden star for coming to church once every six weeks. The fact that he calls us his bride tells us something innate about how he wants us to interact with him in an intimate way. The word most often used in the Bible for God knowing us and us knowing God is the word that's used for a husband knowing his wife. It's the same word. And The Lamb of God wants us to know him even as he knows us intimately, intellectually, emotionally, a total knowing, a deep knowing. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And at the end of it, it says, now, Paul is talking, he says, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Okay, I think I skipped over this part of the scripture, like at least, I've read it a a thousand times. And I just thought, yeah, 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 when we get to heaven, what it means is that we're all going to know everything about God. It's going to be amazing. But the little part at the end, like we don't know everything about God, but what's amazing about this, he calls you his bride because you are fully known by him, just as you are fully known. Now, let me just speak to the cultural zeitgeist of the day. We have an over-sexualized culture. We do. Everything is about sex and 
like, s some of you are very uncomfortable about me talking about this right now because you're like, oh, I feel weird about being the bridegroom. Of this is where Christians, as Christians, we cannot just be people who are stuck in the c culture of our day. So the culture is over-sexualized. Our God is not. Like, thank God on earth God gave us that gift, and let me just speak to it for a moment, that that gift of sex is a gift between uh, married people. It's a gift. But when God talks about us being his bridegroom, it, it is not getting into that. We just live in an over-sexualized culture. Can we just admit that for a minute? I think a lot of the problems we face are because we've gone along with it. Like, that's just... This is how we're, like, it's how we're saying how I identify myself is about sexualization. And when we read the Bible like that, it gets us in all kinds of theological problems. So those of you that are just feeling uncomfortable, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I think we got to grapple with it. we got to grapple with it in light of our culture. But what it does tell us is that God wants intimacy with us. He's not interested in, in having, like, a business partnership with us. Remember a couple of years ago, um, it was probably 10 years ago now, we had a prime minister that sent his child to school and shook their hand. Now, the poor guy, it was probably just awkward, and if you have a 13-year-old, you know you weren't going to really hug or kiss them, so you do get into weird. But some of us, that's the kind of relationship we have with God. Thank you very much for saving my soul. I will see you when I die. And that's the kind of friendship we have with them. And then we sing songs like, I'm a friend of God. Not really. I am bringing back all, I'm really singing today. I do not know what is going on. My children are not here to like really discuss this with me. On the way home and tell me never to do that again. I'm looking, oh no, they are. Sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we have this, I, I, I want to call us though to, to a greater levels of intimacy with God. Like, not a handshake. So let me ask you this. Is your, is your relationship with God like a, like a handshake, kind of like, thank you very much for all the things you've done for me? Or is it intimate? Are you allowing God into the parts of your heart that you're embarrassed about? I started asking myself this recently, because, you know, we all have things that, like, you hope nobody ever finds out about you. <laughs> I, w I follow this little Instagram account that, you know, people tell all the things that they don't want anybody to know anonymously. I guess it's, like, supposed to be some cathartic experience, because they have nobody to talk to. If you've written one of those posts, it's fine. But I was thinking about this. Um, am I willing to talk to God about things I'm not willing to talk to anybody else about? Have I recently talked to God about something that I'm embarrassed about? Because th this is how we push shame away, by the way. This is how we don't live in shame. You're, you're, we're always going to be stuck in shame, trying to hide things from God if we don't make a practice of saying, God, here are the things that I am ashamed of, and I need you to help me with it. So it tells us that he wants intimacy with us, and it gives us security as well. In First Peter, we're told that God will he'll never leave us or forsake us. Marriage is supposed to be the ultimate form of security, that when you get married, you say, like, for richer, for poorer, better health. I'm saying that this is why I don't do weddings. <laughs> I don't know the, that about. That's why if you're getting married, don't ask me. Ask Dave. It will go better, and you'll be married at the end. 
It's a 50-50 chance if you get me to marry you. <laughs> okay, so this idea that, that weddings, like that, that like, it gets to be secure. And this is why God uses this metaphor, because there's no greater metaphor than this. To have intimacy and security and, and to know that he has chosen you. Okay, so what's required of us? How do, we, how do we actually begin to live into this, I am the bride of Christ? Revelation 19, 7 says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. What does it mean to make ourselves ready? How do we make ourselves ready? Um, and then we get to this, Revelation 21, 2 says, Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, for her husband. The question is, who, who does the preparing so that we can make ourselves ready with fine linen, bright and clean, Revelation tells us. But then it also tells us that the bright and clean linen was given, was given for her to wear. Given by whom? By God. God gives us what we need to wear to the wedding. And this is really important. God gives us all that we need to make ourselves ready. So this is where Christians sort of, I think, um, we come this far and we say, yeah, okay, I'm the bride of Christ. I better start doing bride things, like, like doing all the right things, checking all the right boxes. But, but in fact, Revelation never tells us. It says that all we have to do is make ourselves available, and it's God himself who gets us ready availability is all you're called to do and to be <sighs> this changes everything because if i have to get myself ready i'm going to tell you this i'm not good at getting myself re <laughs> ready those of you that are hairdressers here today you look at my hair and you think like i i'm not naturally good at anything like that it would probably go better for me if somebody, like, did all the things for me. I, my sister could French braid her own hair when she was two years old. This is no lie. I had a rat's nest this big at the back of my <laughs> head. She's six years younger than me, so I was eight. And she came down with her hair in a lovely French braid. Like, she could do all those. Because she wore, she wore a dress and leotards every day of her life, I think, till she turned 12. I cried when my mom put a dress on me. Like, it just... And sometimes in our lives, I think this is how we think of ourselves. Like, we're just, I'm just not that spiritual. I just can't get my stuff together. I can't do it on my own. I can't get ready on my own. I feel like I'll never make it, and I'm going to show up to the wedding looking terrible. The great news is you don't have to be good at it. In fact, for those of us that are not good at being spiritual, what the book of Revelation tells us is you're in a much better position. Because you know when somebody... Like, those of you that are professionals and you have, like, somewhat professionals, like all the doctors here, do you know when someone comes into your office and, like, they have Googled their condition? <laughs> like, like, they're coming in, but they have already Googled it, and they know what drug they need to get? So annoying, isn't it? Like, you don't really, some, some of you, that's what, you, listen, that's what you're doing. You're available, but you're getting yourself ready. And God says, no, 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 it is me who gets you ready. All you have to be is available. 
It's not this idea of like, what could I work up? What, how could I help out God? Like, could I get myself a cooling cream? Or what? I don't know what you're doing. You're doing all the things that are hard. And God says, no, it is me who gets you ready to be the bridegroom. And all you have to do is just, here I am, God. Here I, all my stuff, all the ratsness in the back of my head, here it is. I want you to hear this, this scripture from Ezekiel chapter 16. God is talking to his people, and here's what he says. I gave you my solemn oath, and I entered into a covenant with you, a promise, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I adorned you with jewelry. You became very beautiful. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect. Some of us are running around like crazy, striving, stressing, trying to get ourselves beauty for Jesus. Like, I'll just get my marriage fixed up. I'll just get my kids fixed up. I'll just do these, all these 14 things. I'll try to get up at 4 in the morning and pray for two hours. And God, God says, stop it. I got all the treatment for you. All that is required of us to be the bride of Christ is just to say, here I am. I'm available. God, would you do all the work that you need to do on me? God, here's all the things I'm embarrassed about. Here's the big knot I have in the back of my head, and I can't get it out, but you can. So every day, every day, all we have to do is this. God, I'm available. God, I'm available. God, would you, would you come and take, listen, propensities, listen, we all have propensities to sin in our life. Yes? I know we don't ever like to admit this. But these are the things that we admit to God and say, God, oh, I got this ugly. I'm like, I'm really ugly in this area. And God comes, and he changes us. Some of you have all this pressure on yourself, all this pressure to do all the things and be all the, the kind of... Pr- Listen, God comes and makes us ready. He gives you the fine linen so that you're without spot or wrinkle. My whole life I grew up hearing sermons like, God is coming back for a, a bride that is without spot or wrinkle, and so you better get yourself ready. And I would be scared. I remember sitting in... Like, oh, there's a lot of spots and wrinkles on me. And I, <laughs> I understood that I was saved by grace, but I didn't understand that I had to live by grace. you got to live by grace. This is how we don't get caught in a shame cycle. We live by grace. This is what Revelation tells us. Jesus is coming back. We are the bridegroom. This is why we can be excited. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. He is coming back. He has prepared a place for us. This is why we can be excited and live with joy. And he's getting us ready. We just have to say, here I am. I'm available. Some of you today, you were invited to be the bride uh, um, a long time ago. But for one reason or another, you've delayed giving a response. You know when you get those wedding invitations and you think, oh, yeah, 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 i got to respond to that, and then you forget. Some of you, that's exactly what your life has looked like. Jesus has invited you, and you've, you've forgotten I want to encourage you, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say yes. Do not wait till tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. 
For some of you, the invitation's gotten lost in the pile of bills and to-do lists. You, you just think to yourself, like, I'll do that. Let me just speak to the young folks sitting here. I know you think, like, when I get, maybe when I get, like, quite old and nothing is going right in my life, then I'll say yes when I have bad dad jokes. Or but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say yes to Jesus. Not just like, not just a cursory like Jesus, I'll show up to church every once in a while on Mother's or Father's Day or like, I'll do all the things. No, no, no. Saying yes to Jesus means that every day we get up. We say, yes, God, here I am available. Here I am. I, 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 all of me is here. I'm showing up with all of me. Can you just today, don't, don't wait. Some of you are like, you're searching. You're searching for God. And you're saying, God, like when you, when you like really show up for me, like when I like can figure you out in my mind. But Revelation tells us that there's a lot of mystery to this. And we got to say yes to him. We say yes, and then he begins to work. Now, that doesn't mean we check our brain at the door, but we got to say yes. Can I just encourage you all over the place? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? For some of you today, the invitation is buried in layers of guilt and shame. You don't feel worthy to be invited. You feel that if the lamb really got to know you, he would cancel the invitation. Like you'd no longer, if you it's really knew what I was dope. like, you would not want me to get married to you. And I want you to remember the, the words of 1 Corinthians 13 that says, he knows you anyways, he knows you fully. Someday you'll know him fully, but he knows you fully currently. So today is the day that we lift up our head and look him in the eyes and say, yes, Jesus, you know I want to come. Blessed is the one who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Happy is the one who's invited. Can we just, and all of us today, can you just reaffirm your commitment to Jesus, saying, yes, Jesus, I'm coming to you. Yes, yes to being invited. Yes to being your bride. Yes to intimacy with you. Yes to security. Yes to the, your delight in me. Just in this place, would you just let the delight of the Lord just, just like cover you? Let the delight of the Lord cover you. All of you who haven't lived up to your own expectation, you look at your life and think, I wanted my life to be something more. Let the delight of the Lord cover you. All the shame be blown away. So Jesus, I, I pray for my friends here today. I pray that they would sense you in a real and powerful way. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that we would just say yes to coming to you. For those of us that have waited, that have waited, that have waited, that have waited, that said maybe next week, maybe when I get X number things figured out, I, I pray that today would be the day that we would just say yes. To those of us, God, that have said yes to you, but now we're trying to prepare ourselves. God, I pray that that would all be blown off of us, God, that the striving would end, that the trying to like make you like us more would end, and we would just be available. For those of us that have been trying to cover up stuff that we're embarrassed about in our life, God, give us courage to talk to you about it. You are the friend that sticks closer than any brother. Help us, help us to live into that. God, give us courage to say yes to you today. Maybe you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus. Just 
I, I, I can't stress this enough. Today is the day to say yes to Jesus. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.